I love that noise. What a racket that song is. Oh, my good God. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Sunday evening. It's eight o'clock. It can only mean one thing. Good evening and warm welcome to the Red and Blue Review. My name is Nick Philpott. And as usual, I'm your host and I'm joined by the A-team, Ian Noble. Good evening, mate. How are you? Good evening, Nick. Good evening, everybody. Yes, I'm good. Thank you. Not bad no. at all. Yeah, a long day yesterday, but back nice and early because it was the early kickoff. Yeah, it was an early early kickoff, which meant we got back in time for Strictly Come Dancing. So, you know. Sad, sad, sad man. Okay, and warm welcome back because we haven't seen him for a few weeks. Tim Richards, good evening, mate. How are you? I'm all right, Nick. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. So, we will be talking lots of lots of things to do with yesterday. Obviously, we all know that it wasn't the, the best result in the world, but you've got to respect the point. You must respect the point. And we are sitting okay. And we are, you know, at the, we were talking pre-show, ladies and gentlemen. And obviously the, um, the, the run of games we got coming up, out of all of those, that was probably going to be the toughest game. Even, even with the, um, their current league position, which I think is false. We're going to be talking about the girls. We're going to be talking about the, uh, the ground development, how the youngsters are getting on. Um, but first of all, Ian, for, how was your, how was your trip up to, Leicester and anything happen that we need to know about? Why no, it, was, um, it was a very civil trip up. You know, we we managed to travel first class, and they looked after us on the train. You know, it is and um, yeah, it's, a, it's an hour from St Pancras up to Leicester. The Nottingham train first stop Leicester. Um, Chris Grierson travelled up with us. It was good to have a chat with him. Um, a few insights about the club, which you know, I can't tell you all about tonight on the show. Save that for another time, maybe. But um, no, and I, I like Leicester as a place to go to. You know, it's it's not too far to walk from the ground. You know, um, twenty minute walk or so. Uh, the Counting House was buzzing mid morning, full of Palace fans. And um, I got inside the ground, and of course, the first thing you do when you get inside the King Power Stadium is you got to have a sausage roll. Well, they're good. Red Leicester sausage roll, and what I love about it, it has the Leicester City crest on it in rice paper, so you can bite into that. And uh, eat the crest, as well as eating the sausage roll. So uh, yeah, very good. And then um, early kickoff. Sorry, say again. Early kickoff, as you say, but the sausage roll that was the highlight pre-match for me. (laughs) I can't think of it. It's probably the highlight of the day. Wouldn't it? I would have thought. Anyway, good evening, Andrew Adams and Theresa Baker, Daniel Garlic, Jamie Skinner. Uh, The real panels on, Ella mate. I hope you well. Uh, Hope you didn't bore you too much yesterday. Andy Knight, Lee Clark, Graham Kitchett. who else I couldn't have got? Uh, I know John Knox is out there as well somewhere. Guys, thank you for joining us. We love having you with us on a Sunday night, and thank you for joining us. So where, where should we start off with? I think I'm going to kick off, if you don't mind, with the ladies, okay? So t- I'm turning into a bit of an unlucky omen. I had the great pleasure of spending five minutes with the ladies' manager, Dean Davenport, before kickoff today at Hayes Lane in Bromley, where the ladies uh, were playing um, Sunderland. Now, this is my second game watching the ladies. I went to Sellers Park a couple of weeks ago, whoever they were playing. I can't even remember who the game was, which was. And sadly, they ended up on a reverse of a result. I went to Hayes Lane for my very first ever Palace ladies game at home, okay, and saw them play. And once again, uh, whilst they put in a good performance, a very close first half, there's your lineup for you. Uh, very, it is a completely different lineup to last season. Some of you may or may not be aware that we shipped out 
something like a dozen players last year, and we've brought in another 15 so far this season, and we have brought in some quality. The bottom name on that list there is Hughes uh, on the left side. She is a very, very talented player, and we've got quite a few. Coral Haynes is uh, one of the originals from last season. Lovely lady as well. I met her. Had a pleasure of having a chat with her today as well. But sadly, they played Sunderland and they finished up on the, again, the reverse end of a 2-0 result. Um, the uh, Nothing they could do with either the goals. Goalkeeper wasn't uh, to, bl- to blame for any of those. Uh, it was just one of those things. Good moves. The first goal was a very good move down the left-hand side. Crossed the far post and it was headed in. But nevertheless, good crowd. And there is a very, very loyal Palace fan base. There you go. So we're still in the fourth position in the league, even with those two recent losses. Um, the, you have to understand there is a very, very good quality core Palace faithful to go there. Um, I don't, Lucy, I don't know if you've got the picture of the flags that I sent in to Nigel. But, I mean, these guys travel home and away across the country. When the first team, the Palace men first team, are not playing, Okay, these guys travel home and away all over the country following them. Um, it's, only, it's only a core group of about a dozen of them, but Michael Middleton, who's a regular on, you know, regular contributor to the show and in the questions crew, he's one of them. So they are to be, in my mind, absolutely congratulated for the for the effort that they put in. Uh, and the flags, there's more flags at a ladies' game than there is at any men's game. And then what they do, and what I like about it, is they're all grouped together, all in one stand, and it's really good. And that Bromley Stadium, by the way, if none of you have been over to Hayes Lane in Bromley, they've invested a lot of money, okay, and it's a very, very tidy little stadium, well worth a visit. So get over and support the girls uh, and tell them Nick sent you. Right, so we're going to also carry on with what uh, a little feature that Ian started while I was on holiday, how our loan players have been doing over the last few last week or so. Malachi Boateng played 90 minutes as Queen's Park drew 1-1 at home to Arbroath on Friday night. David Boateng was once again on the bench and not used. Charlton don't play until Monday tomorrow evening and Jezrak Saki did play 77 minutes for them on Tuesday night in a 4-2 victory against Exeter City but was not on the score sheet. Scotty Banks was not in the squad for Bradford again uh, against Salford City. It's reported in the pre-mass press conference, uh, he could be a possible return to the first team after an injury that hadn't been specified. Remy Matthews conceded a single goal against Livingston as St Johnston lost 1-0. Rhys Hannan started for Bromley in the home defeat to Hereford in the FA Cup. Uh, Daniel, I, couldn't, I didn't realise the FA Cup started until yesterday. Um, Daniel Quick, Dorking Wanderers, lost 3-1 at home to Eastleigh in the FA Cup. Uh, Rob Street came on for Shrewsbury at halftime in their 1-0 win against Fleetwood Town and was booked in 90 minutes again. Okay, and Luke Plange and Jake O'Brien played the full 90 minutes for uh, RWD Molenbeek in their 4-1 away win against SL16. Neither of them on the score sheet. And I must say thank you to Nigel Croucher very much indeed. Every week he compiles that for me and I'm very, very grateful. Nick, can I um, can I make a comment or two about those, uh, those uh, games you mentioned there? Um, first and foremost, about Charlton Athletic, uh, the Clowns. Um, you're right; they don't play until Monday night, and uh, a good opportunity, I think, to take a look at Jack Braxaki, um playing for Charlton because they're live on Sky Monday night uh, tomorrow night against Portsmouth. 
So it should be a good game. So I think I might try and take that in. Hopefully he starts and it'll be good to see him uh, play in that one. Indeed. And, um, yeah, something else I was going to have as well. I can't remember what it was. So ladies? On. Ladies? No, carry on. Okay. So very important week for the club. Behind the scenes, for those of you who don't know, uh, Croydon's planning committee meets on the 20th. Now, I meant to look it up. When's the 20th? Is that Thursday? Thursday evening? Um, I believe it's Thursday. And it is expected to rubber stamp the planning permission amendments. The We've already got planning permission for the new stand, as I'm sure everybody is aware. And I've been saying it for years and years and years. So is Jill. It probably won't happen in my lifetime. But Thursday the 20th, thank you, Lucy. Okay, Thursday the 20th, the planning committee meets for the final time and it is expected they rubber stamp the amendments that they had to make and they needed to make. Uh, the fire brigade asked them to put in an extra lift in the stand. Um, it, just so you know, they're trying to extend the pitch. They're trying to make extra uh, accessible seating area in the Whitehawks end. Uh, and uh, two, other, two or three other, there was also some bits and pieces to do with the five and six houses uh, around the corner. Uh, five of out of the six now are actually owned by Croydon Council. And there is only one left that is privately owned. So all the necessary arrangements have been made for those. And in case you missed it at the, at the beginning, I'll read you very quickly what the, the plans that were agreed. The redevelopment plans for the main stand at Crystal Palace have unanimously been given the green light. This is a little while ago. The council's uh, cross-party planning committee approved the club's proposals, which will see the main stand extended to increase the stadium's capacity from 26,000 to more than 34,000. The expansion plans will not only see the creation of a new glass front and stand, but also a larger pitch, additional accommodation for wheelchair supporters and the provision for new facilities in the local community, creating a first-class home stadium for the Premier League. Shifa Mustafa, Croydon Council's Executive Director, uh, said it's great news for Croydon that the Planning Committee have approved Crystal Palace's uh, application at Sellers Park. The redevelopment will create 100 new jobs in the area and enhance experience for fans on match day and visitors to the club. The Council remains committed to working closely with the club to ensure that suitable accommodation is found for the residents of Wooderson Close whose homes are affected by the club's plans uh, to ensure the impacts of the development are properly mitigated. Now, the other, so if you, any of you got the email from the uh, from Croydon Council, as I did the other night, okay, it was very confusing. So, so you're aware. So you're looking at the back of the main stand and the whole idea is they are filling in the right-hand end, okay, which is the Homesdale end into a, a semi-circular office space and everything else. And so it's filling in that gap in the corner between the homes and the main stand. They're also doing the same thing at the other end, at the Whitehawks end. Okay, so basically both the, the stand will finish off with circular office spaces at both ends, creating the pillar, if you like, for the old Crystal Palace. That's the intention. Now, if you read the uh, press release from Croydon Council by, that we all got by email, most of us got by email, uh, they're actually talking about the Arthur White. And it's really confusing, and they got it wrong. It's nothing to do with the Arthur Waite. The Arthur Waite stand is having improvements. They are moving the gantry. They are changing the floodlights in the Arthur Waite stand. They're taking down the old floodlights around the stadium and reciting them. But they're in their in their press release, they actually said about the Arthur Waite. So it looks as though they're filling in the corner where the TV box is. They're not. 
Okay, they, they completely got the wording wrong on that. It is just on the main stand side of the stadium, not the homestyle. Uh, so that brings you up to date on the, um, the stadium developed. I think, I think it's now time, gentlemen, to say maybe it will happen in our lifetime. Maybe, <laughs> a, maybe a, state, a spade will go into the ground at some point. Boys, discuss your thoughts on A, what the plans are, and B, do you think it's going to go ahead? Do you know what? It's frustrating being a Palace supporter because this is one thing that could and should have made progress during the lockdown period of 2020 and 2021. Um, Fulham have built a new stand on the riverbank uh, on the side of the Thames. Um, Liverpool have put um, the infrastructure over um, one of the ends. Um, they've done it to the side of the main stand at, at Anfield and they're, they're doing it again to, to one of the ends um, by Stanley Park. Um, do you know what? It's, other clubs are doing it, and, and, you know, it's just been frustrating watching or watching the lack of progress. But I think, you know, this, this latest email and the plans for um, this week, you know, are step in the right direction. So hopefully, as you say, Nick, it, it will happen in our lifetime. And, um, you know, certainly we need it. I think, you know, we lose out every single home game in revenue because we've only got a capacity of 25,000 and I'm not even sure 34,000 is big enough. If we're going to stay in the premier league, you look at clubs like Chelsea have got 40,000. They're talking about extending the bridge, making it bigger, you know, something like Tottenham. I know we're not as big as these clubs, but there's 60,000 and, you know, you, you need bigger, you know, you can, you can fill a bigger ground with a demand for the premier league product. So um, yeah, it's a step in the right direction, but I, I'm not sure. Yeah, we should be doing that. I, I, I'm still, at, I'm still a believer of the fact that we should be building a new ground somewhere rather than trying to develop Sellers Park. Um, but let's see what happens. Tim, I, know, I do notice on the press release, uh, the original press release, and the one that came out this week, that uh, nothing has been mentioned about the slither of the car park, uh, which was been an ongoing stumbling block between the club and Sainsbury's. I notice that still hasn't been. Uh, sold. They must be making progress on it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be pushing forward. Your thoughts, mate? I think we've got no option but to either move to a new ground or push this through because at the end of the day, if we want to stay in the Premier League, we need to generate more money. We need more money coming into the club. And there's only so many texters around that can come and put money in. So the, other, the only other place is by getting more people in. Now, if that you know is South East 25 still suitable you know is it time like Ian says to look for another club another venue to build I don't know but all I do know is that if it is given the approval on Thursday there can be no more excuses if it's given the approval on Thursday then they have to go ahead it has to get done because we always talk about wanting the club to, to progress the chairman the owners are always on about wanting the club to progress it won't do as long as we stay at Sellers Park in its current setup. Well, I don't think the I don't think the option of moving is now an option because we're too far down the planning road. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, Nigel made a point in the chat a minute ago, uh, ladies and gentlemen. In case you don't know, uh, we are we have the same builders lined up to build the new stand, which by the look of it will happen, uh, as Liverpool did when they're in their big new development they opened last season or the season before. And it's called a wraparound. Very simply, it's not going to affect the seating in the old stand at all. They stay exactly where they are while they build up the new stand behind it. 
okay and when that's completed the people that are sitting downstairs will all move upstairs so and then they're, then they're completely uh the bottom part of the development down there so yeah there is one little caveat to add to all of this and i think this is very well worth us talking about because of the the lack of goals and, and excitement from yesterday's game the the one last caveat to add to the end of this is don't forget even if croydon council do approve it on thursday night by the sound of it, it's going to be it, it's a formality it's just a rubber stamping exercise because palace have ticked all the correct boxes in the relocation of the properties etc etc um it's, it's still got to go to the mayor's office to be for final approval yeah uh, it's, he's, he's already approved the plans. He's already approved Croydon Council's planning, but he's, de he's then got the mayor's office have then got to approve the amendments. Okay, that has not happened, and there is no date yet to say that will happen. But when it does, and only when it does, let's assume it's sometime early next year, that will be the time where we can, they can actually say, right, guys, shovels in the ground. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't think we will move to another ground now. You know, but that was just my preferred route. If you know, if, as my personal opinion. But you know, I, I think it's good that we're making this progress. As you say, Nick, let's get a shovel in the ground. Let's make this happen because we've got to do something. We've got to improve our ground. There's no doubt about that. Um, quite a few comments in the chat too about the infrastructure uh, around the stadium. You know, parking, the transport, the train links. Um, you know, there's got to be an upgrade there somewhere. Um, don't ask me where, I haven't got any solutions, but you know, you, you've got to improve the access maybe to seller's station or or something to improve the, you know, if you bring another 10,000 people in to a game the, the on top of what we've got at the moment, it's bad enough getting away and getting to Sellers Park at the best of times nowadays when the ground is full. Um, I always remember coming out of the new Tottenham ground at the first game. Yeah. And they've moved that from 35 to 60. They've done nothing to the infrastructure at all. And it was a nightmare, absolute nightmare getting out of there. Mm -hmm. So whether anything will happen, I doubt it will, actually. It probably won't. But people are making the point in the ch in the chat, and I think it's it's worth mentioning. Okay, let me help you with that. Because because I'm a little bit of an anarchish, sad man, okay, I've actually looked into all the proposals in great detail. And to say that they're not going to do it is actually not correct. Apart from the planning permission, is that they need to improve the road, the bus links, the park and ride, and the cycle schemes around the stadium on match days, okay? And that's all a part of, all boxes have been ticked. Now, I know that uh, we were responsible for doing some work on actual Whitehorse Road itself, okay? Whether that's on the exit to Sainsbury's or whatever it is, I, don't, I actually don't know what the detail is of that. But park and ride scheme from Croydon, okay? There's going to be a cycle uh opportunity for people to cycle on, to your bike. on your bike okay lots of work going on okay lots of work but to me the elephant in the room is and always has been that slither of car park that Sainsbury's will not relinquish and I know for a fact doesn't matter what planning permission we get we assume we're going to get it all granted now if that doesn't come to fruition okay the building work will never take place because they can't do it without that slither of car park which is why Sainsbury's are holding out holding out all this time for it and, and asking the exorbitant amount of money for that tiny but i don't even know whereabouts in the car park it is but it's minute yeah i think it's three or four car parking spaces but it's pivotal to the development and, and until you know until that gets resolved then there will not be a space a shovel in the ground anyway very interesting discussion gentlemen i'm, I'm glad we bought some out uh, and paul bristow said in the chat a couple of minutes ago he's old enough and we know that mate 
uh, he's old enough to remember planning permission being sought and granted for the Arthur Waite stand, and it only took eight months to build. And Richard Harvey saying Nick can run the bus for Park and Ride. Yeah, thank you, mate. Uh, good evening, George. I can see you out there. Uh, good evening, everybody. I'm, I'm seeing. I'm done any more names. Chase Jones out there. Mark Easton. Hope your dad's well. Damon. I thought I saw you probably today, but I might have been mistaken. Anyway, shall we talk about yesterday's game? I, I know it's a little bit painful. Um, it was. Let's 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 do some real positives before we go into the lineup. You've got to understand out there, up and coming fixtures. This one here, on paper, former champions. They're a difficult team to bet. They've got some absolutely quality players. If you've got a squad good enough to leave the, the likes of Jamie Vardy and Ian Acho on the bench, well, you've got your squad is not too bad. I know their manager's under extreme pressure, but we've got to respect that point on the road, okay? We've got three points the other night. We got a point yesterday, and that's four points in two games. Ian said pre-show, we got four points in two for the next five or six games. Every other game, we'll be quite happy. Ian, talk to me about your overall thoughts on the on the uh, day yesterday and the game, and then Lucy, if you could give us the lineup as well, please. Yeah, you're right. It was a frustrating afternoon for everyone concerned. Um, there's the lineup. Just that one change. Uh, from the Leeds game when um, Mitchell started. Um, instead of Elise, um, I actually tweeted, I didn't see Elise's name on the bench, and I thought he was missing altogether for a moment or two before the kickoff and quickly realised uh, the era of my ways. Um, I couldn't believe that he, he left him out, actually. Um, but that's his choice. Um, you know, I always say when you know we moan about team selection that clearly Patrick Vieira knows better than we do. Um but, you know, we go into the game, it's a strong enough team. Um, and I think it's worth just, just emphasising this point that Leicester City, uh, I think their league position is a false one. Um, you know, they're, they're a quality side. You look at the Tielemans, Madison, Barnes, you know, all those three players you'd have in your team tomorrow for sure. Um, so, you know, it, they're, a, they're a tough tough team to beat, even though they'd lost seven from nine, I think, prior to uh, Saturday's game. Um, we hadn't actually lost to a team in the bottom three um, for a long, long time. I think they did give a stat out on match of the day commentary, but I didn't make a specific note of it. So we've always done um, okay against a team that's started in the bottom three when we played them. Um, Possession-wise, Leicester just edged it. It felt didn't feel like 53-47. It felt worse than that watching it. Um, I think in the first half we had probably a, um, a, a better possession, but in the second half there were times when we couldn't even get near the ball. Um, so 53-47. Uh, Leicester had 14 shots to our eight, um, five on target. We just had that one shot on target from Odson Edward in the second half. Um, they had nine corners. We just had a couple. And they had 18 fouls committed against us to 13 um, for us against them. Um you know, as I said, first half was better um, than the second. We had the chances in the first half to score a goal. There's no, no, no doubt about that. The first one that I want to mention was the Zaha chance. Uh, there was a free kick on the right-hand side, and it was a move off the training ground. It was worked across the edge of the penalty area, fed to Wilf on the left, and he, he a wild swing in it that went wildly over the bar. And you see on other occasions, you know, see him put that in the top corner. So you could see what he was trying to do, but he was way off the mark. 
there was another chance. Mark Gahey this time. Uh, Eze's ball into the box. Gahey's header just over. And um, really, he's got to hit the target from there. And he probably knew that. And as I brought him into my fantasy team, I was a little bit disappointed he didn't score. Got me a clean sheet. Thanks, Mark. Um, and then the third chance in the first half that was, was probably the best one of the lot was where Will fed Eberat Giesi, not too dissimilar to the, the goal he scored against Leeds in many ways from where he was positioned. But his shot just went over the bar and the award their keeper had it covered uh, and it wasn't to be. Um, so, you know, we, we go in at nil-nil and we had the bookings, didn't we? You, Nick, you wanted me to mention those bookings. Yeah, so. I, wanted to, I wanted to talk to both of you guys about the bookings because yeah. obviously we had the uh, very, in the 10th minute, Anderson got booked. Boys, was he lucky? And ladies and gentlemen, in Facebook land, I'd like your views on this. In my view, I think he was a very lucky boy. He then committed a, a second foul, nothing too serious. It was just, it was just he went... About I can't remember the time it was, but he went through later on. He I think it was the thirty fifth minute. He went through the back of Tillemans. Okay, I think Anderson was a very lucky Tim. I'll come to you. Very lucky puppy. I think he, he could easily seen red for that. Your th second book of all your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, it's one of those things when this is one of the problems with refereeing in in the league. Um, it's so inconsistent. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd have to say I probably agree. Uh, for once, we actually got the rub of the green, if you like. But how many times do you see that? I think it's definitely a case. If that had been against one of our players or one of their defenders, I think we would have said the same thing. Yeah, as Nigel quite rightly said, Ian, uh, he, the, the one that he did get booked for was actually his second foul already. So, you know, in theory... I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not advocating any Palace player to be sent off. Of course, I'm not. He was just ultra competitive yesterday, and I really thought he could have got. And of course, Decorey then gets booked just before, literally in, in injury time. And in my opinion, it's probably why he got taken off in the second half. Uh, your thoughts? Do you know what? You often see this with referees and bookings in the Premier League. He gets his he gets his name taken first, Anderson. Okay, the second foul. It would have been a yellow card if he wasn't on a booking. Yeah. To be fair, Andy Madley's given him the benefit of the doubt there. He's probably had a word with him and said, he actually probably said to him, so like, you're lucky there. You could have been booked, could have been sent off. I've let that one go. One more and you're off. Okay. And I wouldn't be surprised if that kind of conversation still goes on uh, between referees and, and players on the pitch because otherwise, too many players that get sent off for to, to you know, and, and it is it's so subjective a booking anyway. I uh, someone's put in the chat, I can't remember who it was, I saw it go through there. The referee Andy Maddie was a homer, he, he didn't book any of their players in the first half at all. They were fouling just as much as we were. You've seen the stats already. Um, uh, you know, it was our players that were getting booked in the first half, two of them, and um, yeah, it was disappointing for Decoure because I'm not sure he had to do that, you know, right on half time. And he goes in with a yellow card. And I, th I think when you get a card so early, you've just got to be so careful, haven't you? You know, if it's a really bad challenge, it's obvious, clear and obvious, um, bordering on red itself, then you're going to go. But if it's a little bit innocuous and you could look at it both ways, I think that's where sometimes referees let it go. I mean, I have to say, and that's how I viewed the Anderson second tackle when he went through the back of Tillemans. I thought, that's a booking, exactly how you just described it, Ian. You know, mm. It was a booking all day long. It was a booking, and it would have been a second booking. And that would have been as screwed as for 
Tuesday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and when are we playing? Tuesday, Tuesday. night. Uh, you know, for Tuesday and likewise, I honestly believe that's why he removed Decore because Decore was battling in midfield. I know the game was poor. I know, you know, it wasn't just Palace that were poor. Both teams were equally as poor on the day. It was a really, really strange game because both teams have got great quality. Just didn't, nothing happened. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, know, I, I honestly believe that's why he took Czech Decore off. Uh, and it was probably the right move, although it had a negative effect on the game because obviously you then bring on Luca, and Luca's first thought is always going to be defensive. Second half, Ian? Yeah, so second half, um, let's just talk about those substitutions then. But before we do that, um, the well, actually, yeah, the two substitutions came before the Edward chance. Reed availed. Uh, first time we've seen him for a very long time, obviously. Replaced Mitchell. Now, don't forget Mitchell didn't start last week. There's something not quite right about him at the moment. I don't know what it is. Um, but uh, Riedewell comes on at left back and Cechi Dekure comes off and Luka Milivojevic comes on, both on the 56th minute. Now, that's early to make substitutions yeah. in the second half. And, um, you know, I think the Dekure booking might have had a, an impact on that. Do you know what? Luka got slated on social certain social media channels I've seen. I didn't think he did too bad. I think he did okay. To the point where the the manager actually singled him out after the game saying he did nothing wrong. No, I think you're right. I think it's one way of putting it. He did nothing wrong. You know, he's not the player he was. Let's be clear about that. He definitely isn't the player he was. But he's still good enough for me to be a squad player and come off the bench and do a job for us, which is what he did on Saturday. You know, he did what he was asked to do. Um, Jara Riedeveld, actually, I thought he was a breath of fresh air. I thought he was... He was good. He was. He looked good. He, you know, he didn't make any mistakes at the back. He looked better going forward than Mitchell did down the left flank. And um, I sort of want to see a bit more of him, really. Um, I hope this is the start of some minutes for him. I hope we see more of him off the bench. Um, he had some issues, didn't he, earlier on? Um, you know, pre-season, I think. Um, I'm not sure the exact details. But it's good to see him back in contention. I've always rated him. I've always liked the lad. Um, so it'll be good to see him get more minutes. So into the second half, Edward has probably our best chance and he had to make it all himself. Um, you know, footwork, beat two or three players, got his shot away from the edge of the box and forced the only save that Ward had to make. One save, one shot on target, one save. It was a good save down to his right-hand side by the post, tipped it round for a corner. And literally, immediately after that, Edward gets taken off. I didn't get that substitution. You know, he's got two in two prior to, to this game, Edouard. He's, if you get the ball into the box to him, we know he can do well. And I did not get why he took Edouard off yesterday. And then so, and then when he takes him off, he brings a Lise on, moves it around, puts Ayu left, I think, and Wilf down the middle, or Wilf left and Ayu down the middle, I think it might have been. And I thought, Jordan Ayu, I've been one of his, um, I've been, you know, you know, on this show, I've talked about Jordan Ayu being a great player. And having great games for Crystal Palace and doing really, really well. And last week against Leeds, he did well. The week before against Chelsea, he did well. Yesterday, he was rubbish. He was poor. He was one of our worst players. And yet, Patrick Vieira decides to play him for 90 minutes. I could not believe that he left him on the pitch for 90 minutes. And then the, the fourth substitution was seeing Wilf get taken off, which, again, beggared belief for me. I know he wasn't having the greatest game. But look, Wilf can turn a game in a moment. 
and he wasn't happy about getting taken off. He didn't shake Mateta's hand. He walked past him, threw his toys out his pram, typical Wilf. But um, I was very surprised to see that. And I think then in the second half, look, guys, you know, we were on the back foot. Leicester were better than us. They were creating chances. We got overrun in midfield. Um, if you look at our midfield, I, I'm not sure. Um, we, we need to do something, maybe get Will Hughes back to start him alongside the Kure and play two defensive midfielders for once, shore it up a little bit because we got overrunning midfield. And the amount of space in both halves that Madison had in particular, everything went through Madison. Everything. Unfortunately for us, he left his shooting boots at home because he couldn't hit a barn door. He really couldn't, um, Madison, yesterday. And he one shot on target, it was comfortably saved. But Leicester should and could have scored. And, you know, we got away with one, I think, really. Nick, sorry. Oh, I did. I mean, I just wanted to go back to the Wolf substitution, Sim. Yeah. Um, we are talking about the manager making the decision. I mean, Yasmin just said in the chat she would have taken IU offer before Wilf. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Even though Wilf is a blame off. Now, let's be honest, Tim. Wilf hasn't played well for the last couple of games, okay? Uh, I think he is one decent pass on onto switching it back on again. But he has been poor. But what bothered me, to the point, Ian, just to so let you know, because I know you're in the stadium, I actually text my son, Sam, who was there, and I said to him, did he just walk straight down the, down the tunnel? Apparently, he didn't. He no, he didn't. Down. He went and sat down, but he, he, he wasn't happy. You could see his attitude, you know. Tim, he's petulant. It, it pisses me off, even after 15 years at the club. Is it not you? <laughs> um, no. I'm going to say no. And it kind of comes on to... Um, what we were speaking about before going live and over the course of the day with Vieira, the way he's managing the club at the moment, decisions he's making, the performances. Um, I think, I'd say cracks are beginning to appear, but I think Wilf is probably seeing some things that some of the supporters are seeing and seeing the decisions that are being made with who's getting subbed positions, tactics, and I think he's getting a bit frustrated with it, to be perfectly honest. Um, and I can kind of understand it. So I don't like to see it. I'd rather see he put the effort into the game and then, you know, showing that and getting wound up by that. But to be honest, at the moment, I can kind of understand it. You know what? Wilf's lost his pace a little bit. This is probably with Wilf, is that, you know, every time he got the ball on the left, he passed it backwards or sideways a couple of times, to be fair. Um, and he's better when he's in space, he, when he can look up and, and 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 go run at people. When the defender's right up tight against him, Reese James had him in his pocket. Um, the Leeds right back we talked about, was it Christensen last week? You know, had a, had a good game against him. You know, people have sussed him out a little bit. Um, now, I'm not saying drop him. I'm not, so, but he's got to change a bit. He's got to do something in response to this. You know, he gets, you know, it's it's not just him. It's the whole team, the way we play the game. You're passing out from the back, you know, tippy-tappy across two centre-backs, goalkeeper, two centre-backs, goalkeeper, left back, up to Will, to his feet, back again. Very frustrating to watch. You know, I didn't see the game this afternoon, but apparently Allison got an assist for Salah's goal. He yeah. just a long ball down the, down the middle. We run onto it and scored. And he did. You know, we, we need to think about doing that a bit more. Yeah, you know? top it up a bit. The one thing I have noticed, okay, there was a, there was a time 
a couple of seasons, three or four seasons back, where I was critical of Max Meyer. Because when he took the ball, his first response, his first, his natural reaction is to turn it back towards our own defence, okay? Instead of being a forward momentum, it was always a reverse pass. I've seen Wilf doing that an awful lot recently, and you just made the same point, Ian, okay? That it's back to the back to the midfield or back to a defender instead of a, a ball into him where he's going down the line. The other thing that came to my mind watching yesterday's Dow game was under the previous managers, and this is Vieira snapping his authority, rightly or wrongly, okay? The, uh, Wilf, think, think back to the days of Wilf and Balassi. Wilf and Balassi... Uh, it was normally Wolf's decision to swap sides, yeah. okay, to swap sides. And if he wasn't getting enjoyed down one side, they give him freedom to swap sides with Balassi and go down the other side. He hasn't got that freedom now, okay. He can't swap with Ayu because the manager won't let him. Tim touched on the point the, the, about the cracks are beginning to show. Is that a flaw? And I'm, Ian, I'm asking you this question. Is that a flaw in the manager that he's so rigid he won't give Wilf, who is, let's be honest, our most experienced and talented player, mm. the freedom to make that sort of on? I, I don't think so. I think Patrick Vieira is his own man. He's, he makes those decisions. And, um, you know, he's, he's he's actually said, hasn't he, in the last couple of weeks, you know, that Wilf has been a difficult person to manage. Um, he said he likes working with him. Don't get me wrong. He's, he's very talented. He's our talisman still. And um, and yet, but he's been difficult to work with. And you can imagine him being difficult to work with. What we've seen of him, you know, you can just imagine him training. If it doesn't go his way, you know, throwing his toys out of his pram. But he still is, he still is our best player. He still is our talisman. Um, someone said, would you drop him for Tuesday? Of course we wouldn't, I wouldn't drop him for Tuesday. Um, not least because he's in my fantasy team. But no, I definitely wouldn't drop him, drop him. You know, because he can change that game. I was disappointed to see him taken off because he can change a game in a moment. Look at the Leeds game. The assist for Eze's goal was pure class from Wilf the other week. That that pass, you know, that moment was was just not any not not every player can do that. They really can't. So he's got things in his locker that can change games, and we just need to be patient. And I think the problem we have also with Wilf is that our expectations are that much higher with him compared to other players. Tim? Sometimes we need to manage those expectations a bit better. Yeah, but not, I I don't know if we're good enough or if we have the ability to. But to me, Will's big thing is unpredictability in that opposition don't know what he's going to do. I would love to see him play in a team where he's got a free role, where he doesn't have to stick to a wing. You know, build a, if you're going to have him, put a team around him, give him... Feed him, let him do what he can do, because that's his whole thing, his unpredictability. And stick him out on either wing, clubs know what he's going to do, and they just put two players on him and take him out of the game. Well, well, you're not wrong, Tim. I'd like to see him have a go down the middle occasionally. Maybe not yeah. start there, but you know, I thought when he took off uh, um, Edward that he was going to put Will down the middle, to be honest with you, but he didn't. We've seen what he can do there, you know. Think you know, several times we've seen him swivel and, and score, you know, inside the box in a central position, you know, in that in that position, you know, in the six-yard box. If you take the lines from the six-yard box out to the edge of the penalty area, you know, within that area, if he can get in that area, he can score goals. We know he can. Um, but I, I don't know, maybe it's his preference, but he, he's not like a Balassi who really you really didn't know what he was gonna do. You do know what Will's gonna do now. Most of the time he's gonna pass it back, balls to his feet to so pass it back. 
He rarely gets on the shoulder and a ball over the top and running because he won't beat the fullback often because he hasn't got the pace anymore that he once had. So, which brings us quite nicely. Uh, he hasn't got the pace anymore, said the Lord Noble. Uh, the fact that he's 30 next month. Um, would you offer him an extension? Have they offered him an extension? Or is it time to move on? Ian? I, I would, if it was up to me, I would offer him the extension and I'd hope he'd take it. Two years, I'll give him two more years. But there, and there lies the problem. The club have made their rod for their own back after next month. If we don't offer him a contract this month, like Ala October, on no, in November he's thirty. The club's new policy is that over thirty they get a one-year deal. Okay, they offered Czech Kuate a one-year deal, so he went to the Nottingham Forest to get a two-year deal, and on the second year he'll be playing in the championship. Um, well, who knows? Who knows? But you know, I don't know whether they would make an exception for Wilf. I would. I would make an exception for Wilf, just because the club has a policy. You can deviate from policies. Um, you know, if we don't give Wilf a good deal, then he will go somewhere else. Um, whether it's in the Premier League, you know, a Tottenham or an Arsenal or somewhere, um, or a club like Roma that have been linked with him in the past. But um, you know, I. I <laughs> I remember when Ian Wright left us, I was very sad. I know it's not the same because Wilf is more of a legend than Ian Wright ever was, but I was extremely sad that day. Never forget it. Um, but we do lose our best players, don't we? You know, we've had it time and time again down the years. And eventually, Wilf will not be a Crystal, Crystal Palace player. That's a certainty at some point in the future. OK, I was reading a comment. What did you just say about his certainty? I missed what you said. Say that again. Uh, one point in the future, at some point, some point in the future, Wilf will not be a Crystal Palace player. And I whether think it's that. because he retires or whether he goes somewhere else, you know, I'd like to see him stay as long as he possibly can do. So you asked me the question, would I offer him a contract? Yes, I would. Two-year deal. Try and improve it and try and keep him at the club for at least another two years. Keith Diamond is just asked in the chat. And Keith, I presume you are aiming that at me. Would, uh, would I offer uh, him a new contract? The answer to your question is, if they haven't already done so, um, if they haven't already done so, it's never going to happen. Okay, it won't happen. He's already made his mind up. He's going to be leaving us come June. Don't forget, he's he's a, he's a Palace player until June. He's free to speak to European clubs come January. Uh, and if you listen to Dan on uh, HLTCO, uh, apparently there has already been contact between Wilf's representatives and low-level contact, admittedly, uh, between Wilf's representatives and Roma already in this season, okay, they is free to speak to them about contracts come January. Um, my my honest opinion is he will go in June, okay. And uh, again, Hopkins is very pragmatic when it comes to this sort of thing, and he thinks that we will go. He doesn't want to. He, he he's in the same mindset as us. What I don't want to see is week in week out him lining up against us, either be it Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal. Man United, which will never happen. Okay, even Man City. I don't. I can't bear the thought of seeing Zaha lining up against. Him. If he was to go to somebody like Roma, PSG, another a another European club, I would actually follow that club for the rest of that season. I'd follow that club and let him play his two years and give him that opportunity for a bit of Champions League football, which none of us would deny him. None of us would deny him. We'd we'd be more than happy to, for him to go and be successful elsewhere. And I think, if I'm honest, after that two-year period, when he hits 33, 32, 33, 
his playing days will be winding down. And I honestly believe he will be back at the club to close off his career at Sellers Park. I honestly do. Anybody? Well, disagree? let's hope you're right, Nick. Let's hope you're right. Cool. So anything else to cover on the uh, second half here? Um, no, I, I think, you know, I've, I've, I've said most of the things that I, I wanted to, uh, other than, you know, if you if you look at the post-match presser, Patrick says, uh, you know, we didn't do enough to win the game. We didn't take enough risks. Uh, we lacked some tempo. Um, the quality of the ball in the final third was not good enough. So, you know, he's made those comments that you'd expect him to make. So I didn't disagree with anything he said there. Um, a couple of interesting interviews with both Joel Ward and Mark Gahey on the Palace website. If you haven't seen those yet, take a look at them. They're both quite positive um, interviews in as much as they say, look, you know, it's a point on the road. We kept a clean sheet. You know, you know, we were a bit unlucky at times. And if you look at the first half chances that I outlined earlier, you know, one of those goes in, which, you know, could happen on another day. Then, you know, we, we, we could have sneaked that game. But I think if we had have won it, it would have been a bit smash and grab and a bit unfair on Leicester. And if any team looked like winning it towards the end, it was Leicester. And when they put four minutes up, I thought, do you know what? This is going to be a long four minutes. And it was. And um, I was just glad to hear that final whistle. And as Andrew Adams has just said, respect the point. Um, you know, it was a well, well one point in the end on the road. And that's two clean sheets in succession on the road as well. I know Newcastle was a long time ago. Um, but that's two goalless draws away from home in succession in the Premier League. Do you know, uh, that's a stat that I hadn't actually picked up on. And I think it's really valid. Tim, anything you want to add on the game, Mr. Lowe? I was... Teresa's going to hate me for this one. Um, but there were two things that, that that kind of struck me a bit. Listening to the game on the radio yesterday was they seemed to be attacking down Joel Ward's side a lot. And if I'm right... Ayu was supposed to be on the right-hand side with Ward. There again, the failure of, of Ayu or his issue is that he doesn't help the team. But that's the end of the Ayu stuff before Theresa slaps me. Um, but listening to it on the radio, it did kind of start a few alarm bells ringing, uh, ringing in my head. And don't get me wrong, I still think Vieira is the right man for the job and I still think he could do great things. But what does concern me is he's been there over a year now. Basically, he's got the same players. And yes, it does show that we are light. And as he says, we do need some extra players. But it just concerns me the level of performances that we're seeing. And on a fairly regular basis, not a one-off, the fact that we're always seems to be we always start seems to start games really slowly. Um, it almost like he may know what he wants them to do, but there seems to be an issue with players going on the pitch, understanding it, carrying it out, and it's it's happening too often for my liking. And I'd be interested to see what the people watch uh, watching the show think about it because there's something there. Wilf, like you said, the way that Wilf is. Things, you know, we're supposed to say we've got a really good team now. It's a lot better than we've had for a long time. But the performances and the consistency isn't being shown. And I do, there are a few alarm bells for me ringing at the moment because something isn't quite right. Nick, you're on mute. Um, I, th I think one of the things that I have heard about yesterday is that 
you know, we know Torrent Mitchell's not been right. Um, I think one or two other players might not be right. Some kind of sickness bug or something um, around the club. Um, and if that is true, and they're not going to come out and say that and tell people, then, um, you know, you could you could make an excuse for being slightly below par yesterday. Although the irony in that is that the first half was our better of the two halves. Um, you know, I think the two home games, Chelsea, we took the lead. All right, albeit against the run of play early on. Um, Leeds, we got back into the game quite quickly, having gone behind. So I don't think we're necessarily that slow out of the blocks. You know, Man City away, we're tuning mm-hmm. up, for goodness sake. You know, so I, I think it's horses, you know, some games we're, we're slower out of the blocks than others. But I don't think there's a, a trend there necessarily to say that we're slow starters or anything, um, uh, Tim. So I, I wouldn't agree with that one necessarily. Um but look, you know, it, it is what it is. And I think the other thing that we haven't spoken about as well is is the goalkeeper yesterday. Uh, I've seen a, a comment in there, give Johnston a chance. But do you know what? Vincente Guita did nothing wrong at all yesterday. He made lots of... He was in the right place at the right time every time. I know they didn't test him too much, um, but there were lots of shots on target and he managed to, you know, I think he got six saves in the end. So, you know, a couple of extra points on FPL for that. Kept his clean sheet. And, um, you know, did, did pretty well. So, you know, I think you've got to, um, you know, respect that performance yesterday as well, which we haven't mentioned up until now. Yeah, and I think in a lot of people's minds, he was actually man of the match yesterday. So, good yeah. well, good point, actually. And, and he made, you know, he did what he had to do. Uh, um, Tim, I'm going to respond to you as well, if, if you don't mind. Um, Daniel Garlic made a point in the chat that Joel Ward is losing his pace a little bit, and he is. Uh, he was caught short on a couple of occasions. Don't forget, we now don't have any cover back there with Nathaniel Klein injured. That Was the manager backed in the transfer window this time, or were we unlucky? I think we're going to have a busy January, that's for sure. It's purely and simply because, uh, in my mind, he wasn't backed in the transfer window. I have got uh, some interesting stats for you. I touched on it a little bit last week. Uh, and this, these stats weren't updated. Nigel Croucher, you're fired, okay, post yesterday's game. So these, these are previous to yesterday, okay? Patrick Vieira's uh, win, uh, win ratio at the moment is 34%. Draw ratio is also 34%. And his loss ratio is 32%. Uh, Bruno Lager, his win ratio was actually 37%. Chris Wilder, his win ratio was 40%. And Thomas Tuchel's win ratio was 60%. And never all been sacked. Um, okay. Well, the, the answer to that one is that Tuchel was at Chelsea, so the expectations are much greater. Yeah. Wilder's in the championship, so that doesn't count. And Lager was just unlucky. And he was um, Wolves' uh, chop and change managers left, right and centre anyway. So there's my answer to that. <laughs> But if you take it from the other point that Nick's making, is come January, the fact that Vieira several times has said that we're light on players, we need extra players. If he goes through another transfer window with what in his mind is a lack of backing, is that going to start him, you know, leaving? And what's, you know, is he going to stick around? You know, if he's not going to get the support, the backing that he thinks he needs, is he the type of manager that's going to go, you know what? Enough's enough. I'm not getting the back. And you know know what? You raise a very valid point. Uh, Nigel, um, Ian, sorry, your thoughts on what Tim just said. I think that's an extreme. I mean, maybe, but, 
you know, I, I th we do need a January window where we get a two or three more in for sure. John Knott says, how long is Klein out for? Um, I think it's only a couple of weeks. I don't think it's as serious as, as we first feared. Um, so he's back in sort of doing some light training, I think. Um, and, and Chris Richards, I know he's injured as well at the moment, but look, you know, he's got aspirations to go to the World Cup with the USA. Um, he can play right back. He can play centre back. So, you know, he's, he's another one that can come in and, and cover. Um, yeah, we definitely need you know more cover there, though, right back and even left back maybe. So I think oh, the January window is an important one for us. And um, I would hope that we do some business in that window. And in that time, of course, we've got some very important fixtures, he says, rifling through his paperwork. Lucy, those fixtures, please. Um, we were talking last week about uh, what's happening between now and the World Cup break, okay, which I think is a bloody nightmare, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and here we go. So we've got uh, Wolves on Tuesday evening, Saturday away at Everton, uh, home to Southampton, away at West Ham, and home to Forest. Now, let's yeah, put away some, Forest, mate. Away oh, sorry, away from Forest. My, my apologies. Um, let's put some positivity on that because yesterday wasn't the best game. We all know that, and we've done it to death. But all of those, bar West Ham, okay, all of those teams, bar West Ham, are below us in the table, okay. With um, the only exception is West Ham, and I believe off the top of my head, they're only a point above us. Yeah, is that right? yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're only a. There you go. They're only a point above us. We have a massive opportunity here, uh, especially in the home fixtures, to pull away from that pack, okay? We don't need to be looking over. I still, again, what you can't see, Lucy, could you put that league table back up again? Because what you can't see there are my three favourite teams to go down, and it's none of them. And it is none of them. My, my, my team to go down are Bournemouth, okay, Fulham, and Brentford. Oh, and Brentford, and they're not even in the bottom half of the table, you know, apart from Bournemouth there. They're not even in the bottom half of the table. Uh, I think this is a false league at this time. Southampton have got far too much. I think Wolves have got too much. Villa have certainly got a bit of quality. Leeds are a bit of an enigma. I'm not too sure about Leeds. I mean, Bamford, Bamford clearly can't hit a barn door. Uh, Everton, they'll probably spend their way out of it, and West Ham will be fine. And I honestly believe Palace will be fine. I, I still think it's going to be Bournemouth, Fulham and Brentford to go down. Well, not Forest. You think, you think Forest are going to stay up? I think, I think Forest, because what they need... OK, they can come down now, Luce. Thank you. Um, I think with Forest, what you've got, you've got a strange one with Forest, um, is that they bought in whatever it was, 22 players. Yeah. Okay, and they need time to gel. And they, you know, the manager, bless his heart, he, he doesn't know his best starting eleven. Whereas Vieira is in a different thought process he's the best 11 are the only 11 he ain't got any backup okay uh, well that's that's not quite true is it you know we, we backup. You, know what look, I mean. you know you're, you're right about forest having too many players to choose from i think forest are almost doomed i can't see him staying up at all i really can't you know if wolves could beat them one nil they couldn't even score a penalty yesterday for crying out loud you know so you know I, i'll be interested to see what happens for sure they've got a minus 16 goal difference they're bottom of the table um Leicester will get their way out of it. I think Southampton will struggle. I'd love to see them go down. Can't stand that lot. Um, Wolves will get out of it. Villa will get out of it. Um, so, you know, it could be a Bournemouth-Brentford or a Fulham. But, you know, it's it's, it's, it's going to be interesting for sure, isn't it? Always interesting. But um, and, and Wolves, you know, they're, they're, a, they're a strange club. You know, they've only scored four goals, says he. 
you know, fingers crossed, touch wood, um, they don't score against us on Tuesday night. They've only scored four goals all season. Imagine if we'd only scored four goals at this stage of the season. They've played 10 games and they've scored four goals. Unbelievable. Adra Adams thinks I've been drinking for my last comment. Well, I haven't really, mate. I only had one. Uh, so, yeah. It, Nigel, can you do us a favour? Please make a point of uh, for the end of the season of my three predictions to go down and Ian's follow-up. Uh, Tim, who are you, who, who are you favourite to go down? Um, I think City is struggling at the moment. Liverpool. Oh, sorry, that's my wishful thinking. Sorry. <laughs> um, all right, it's... It's a, such a fake time at the moment in the league. Uh, I would say Forest. I just think I, I see why they bought that many players when they lost the number of players they lost. I don't think they're of the high enough quality that it will get them out of it. I think they'll be going down. Bournemouth, I think, will be all right. Uh, I'd like to see Southampton go down like Ian. I can't stand them. That would be interesting to see. And to be fair, I mean, you think Everton will spend their way out. They're not in a position to spend their way out. They can't spend money at the moment. So, you know, if they lose a few more games, I, I don't think Everton are out of it. What, you think Fat Frank could get a sack? No, that would make my, that would make my Christmas, I'm telling you. Fat Frank was the bite of the bullet. Listen, boys, I think we're going to draw, uh, draw a line under it. I think, I think before you do that, let's talk about what some of the people in the chat are saying, Nick, about relegation. Because it's, it's, it's interesting. Well, first time we've spoken about it all season, really. Gary Fisher fancies Leeds to go. Uh, George says uh, Forest, Bournemouth, Southampton. Yeah, that's a good shout, I think. Um, yeah, but George is mad. I'm not going to even read yours out. Um, Andrew Adams, Forest, Villa and Southampton. Villa, interesting, um, to see if they can um, get out of it. I mean, I think they've got some, some players, I think they will. But so, you know, it's um, there's a bit of a thing that I think Forest are the team for me, that, as I said earlier, that look as if they're, Nailed on to get relegated. I think um, the interesting thing with the Forest one is the it was who was that player that they signed from Wolves that we were in for Gibbs White. Gibbs it? White, yeah, Morgan Gibbs White. Thirty he's million they pay for him, didn't they? He's been crapping. He's been absolute garbage. Whether he's been played in the wrong position, I don't know. But he's you know, I was listening to it on the radio on the way home from work yesterday. He, he's been absolute rubbish, ladies and gentlemen. Now in Facebook land, thank you for joining us on what was a. Yeah, not the easiest show to do, of course, uh, because you know you want performances to be able to talk about. Our next game is Wolves, okay, and obviously Everton at the weekend. We will be back on Sunday evening uh, to review both those games. But before we go, uh, thank you, Lucy. Before we go, a couple of thank you, if you don't mind. Thank you to the two guys that uh, joined me this evening, Ian and Tim. Thank you to Nigel Croucher, who does a massive amount of work for us. But ladies and gentlemen, could you do one little thing for me? Would you jump on Instagram and like, share, follow, whatever the hell you do on Instagram on our Wolves review uh, preview that uh, Tim Clark Samuel has worked so hard and he's he's done. Please take care of that. And on behalf of all the team, can I send my love to Lucy and her family at this difficult time? No details, but uh, we're sending you massive hugs and lots of love. On behalf of the team, the entire Red and Blue Review team, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you next Sunday night. We'll do it again. See you then. Take care. God bless. Stay safe. Good night. Good night, guys.